0: I'm going to ask you some questions about Rene La Roque. He told me he doesn't believe Ted Salas sold that land. Not many who knew Ted do. What about you? Ted Salas was my elder. He knew this land was sacred. When Schist took it, drove his pumps into it, ran his pipes through it, it was the end our stories will die with me. Hey, come on. Hey, listen to me. You're not dying anytime soon. Do you remember when I took you to the dark water as a child, Terry? I remember I was scared. Yes. It is full of magic. Both light dark our most powerful guardian spirit lives in the dark water it protects what our ancestors called the Nexus of all realities Guardian has become very angry. <laughs> For the blood spilled, it seeks blood. Pete, I'm a cop. I can't believe in Indian spirits and magic. What you believe doesn't matter. You're not from this place. You're not from any place. Where's Ted Salas, Pete? Is he the one killing people? Kyle, wait! Is he killing people with or without Renee? Kyle, I didn't bring you here to do this. Maybe he is in the swamp. Maybe the swamp is in him. Whoever or whatever is out there, Pete, I saw it. What did you see? I don't know. You know what you saw? It is chosen who will die. Who? Who will die, Pete? Everyone.
1: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest today, and that is Daniel. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hey, man, doing wonderful. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Maybe not so good after we start jumping into the movie for today, but we'll get there. (laughs) Um, But before we we get too much into that, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, well, hello, everyone. Uh, Absolute pleasure to be here. My name is Dan. I... I am not as cool as uh, a lot of your guests that I've <laughs> heard on some episodes. I, I've heard some professors and some doctors and, and a cool comic creator so far. So uh, there's definitely, I'm up quite uh, against quite a bit there, but I'm okay with that. I, I'm just a podcaster. I do a podcast, a weekly podcast called All New, All Different Number One Comics, where my co-host and I review a brand new comic book each week that comes out into local comic book shops and we talk comic news and all of that. I also do a bi weekly podcast that's movies. It's called Real Good Movies with Jar and Dan. So that's pretty much where I am. Huge comic collector, uh, but but nothing nothing professional in the field like you and, and most of your guests. So. <laughs>
1: Well, you got uh, quite a a backdrop there. So, um, you know, we we don't we don't do video on this show, but we we do do it when we're recording. And uh, so, people who are listening, he's got like all these different comics mounted on the wall behind him. Uh, I see a New Mutants poster there and uh, some Marvel Legends figures. So, definitely got a nice little backdrop going.
2: Yeah, I'm a big collector. Been collecting since I was uh, around eight years old. Got really big into that first Robin mini series and then just escalated from there, got big into turtles and then Marvel stuff and everything. So yeah, I have a nice gigantic collection, have a lot of toys, have a lot of graded books, have all kind of stuff. Hope to open my own comic book shop in a few more years. So
1: that's where I, I was, was. going to say your backdrop kind of looks like a comic shop already. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it was a, a virtual one for a little while. I did mm. some online selling on like pop shop and whatnot. So
1: Uh, so you'd mentioned that, you know, when you were eight, you got into collecting with, uh, the first Robin miniseries. That was the, the Tim Drake one back in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, so how did you get into comics? Why did you end up? Why was that? Why did that end up being your first comic? So
2: such a weird story. When I was around that age, my grandfather was kind of I don't know. He was, he was reaching the end of his life to put it nicely, I guess. And he was starting to find like little things around to give to his kids and grandkids and stuff like that. Starting to kind of finalize his will and all of, all of those things. He had a really big coin collection, big coin collector. So he decided to pass those coins down to me. I lived in a neighborhood where I was able to ride my bike to this cool little coin shop and right across the street from the coin shop was a comic book store. So I would go take my coins, you know, kind of one by one or whatever, to this coin shop, and then get a nice ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. Go over to the comic shop and buy some comic books. Kind of that that Robin mini series was was fresh on the newsstands right then, and I don't know, it just looks so cool and flashy to me. I've never, uh, believe it or not, I've never been a huge Batman fan, but I do really like DC stuff a lot, so. I like a lot of the Batman villains and tie-in characters and stuff. Just not huge on Batman himself. For some reason, Robin just spoke to me. <laughs> me, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Me and my cousin were obsessed. We dressed up like Robin for Halloween like four years in a row, and just yeah, just kind of took off from there. So
1: that's awesome. Yeah. Then that was uh, that was Tim Drake. That 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 was my uh-huh. Robin too. That growing yeah. up, um, always still my favorite Robin to this day. Like I like Damien. I like jason and dick but it'll it'll always be tim it will always be the favorite
2: well at least you like damien i can't say the same thing but i and and that's the one we're gonna get apparently so
1: that's the one we're getting yeah yeah well we'll see what they do how they play around with it because in in, you probably know but in the series when he was introduced tim was already robin at the time so maybe they'll have some uh some back and forth we'll see how it all plays out
2: yeah i'm I'm hoping hoping anyway
1: because yeah sure we're getting him on. We're getting a version of him on Titans right now, although that's ending soon. So, but mm-hmm. I, I was glad that we got him for at least a little bit.
2: Yeah. Hey, I'll take what I can get. Anything that's not uh, DC that's just going to be canceled two years from now or rebooted or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's
1: fine. So. Okay. <laughs> um, so you didn't have any association with Robin before that comic book, like not from like the Batman 66 show or anything like that. It was just you saw the comic and it kind of appealed to you type of thing.
2: Oh yeah, it was definitely just walking into the shop and seeing that comic and thinking, I don't know, I guess probably that was the youngest hero I could identify with. That's probably the only mm-hmm. thing I can think of. And and again being on that opposition of of thinking, Hey, I really like some of these characters. I really like the villains that they're going up against, but I don't like the dude dressed up in the bat suit. So who else is there?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool, because most people who end up getting into into Batman or Batman-related characters usually have that entry point from somewhere else first. Um, not often these days, you find someone whose entry point was actually the comic, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a little bit. Uh, so, um, and that, that led you to uh, into DC and to then, to then Marvel, and um, tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you guys do on there, and... I know you kind of talked about them a little bit, but how did they kind of start up? And you know, tell us a little bit more about them, type of thing.
2: Sure. Well, it had been a huge dream of mine to to get into podcasting. I love just sitting around and talking. I love talking about movies, comic books, all of those things, music, whatever. I'm I'm a huge, re- really big into all that kind of nerdy culture stuff. There's not always a, a large group of people to talk about it around my area, at least given my age, like I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of my thirties. So it's kind of, you know, you don't find a lot of people who want to talk about comic books or whatever, at least around here. Um, right. So it, it always been like a really big dream of mine to be able to just sit around, record conversations about comic books first and foremost, but, but also movies and and, and things of that nature. So, I just happened to be browsing around, looking at forms, looking at Reddit, looking at anywhere I could to, to see people who were looking for a co-host for any type of podcast that I thought I would might be interested in. And I found one, a guy, my co-host named Jer, who who wanted to start the Real Good Movies podcast. And he just wanted to talk about movies. He didn't have any real I don't know anything like really fleshed out, you know, in the world of podcasting, you usually have to find like a niche or something. Mm -hmm. He was just like, Hey, I just want to talk about movies. I don't really care what we talk about, whatever. And I was like, well, that sounds great. I love movies. I love genre film, whatever he's more into. He likes genre film and all of that as well, but he's definitely more into the, award winning movies and stuff like that. So I, I figured we'd be a really good balance on one another. I'm not really into that kind of stuff. I famously mm-hmm. hate the Godfather and, th- and things like that. Really? And, and would rather watch like a Kevin Smith movie or something instead. So <laughs> so I thought we'd have like a cool balance with one another. And we do. We have a great dynamic with that. We kind of see things differently and then are able to see eye to eye on certain things. So anyways, that's, that's where I started. I got into podcasting that way. That was kind of his podcast idea that he brought me into and, and I, I'm i the co-host of and, and it's great and I love it more than anything. But again, like I really wanted to be able to branch out on my own, have my own podcast, edit it myself, do all of mm-hmm. the work, uploading all of that stuff. So I got into this, uh, I, I sorry, I got this idea to do a comic book podcast where I would take a brand new comic book each week and and kind of review it. I actually got really lucky because I work with a guy who's really into comic books. So I talked to him about the idea and he loved it. So we ended up making this happen and we kind of just started out. We just released our fourth episode. So this one's a brand new podcast, but I just wanted to be able to talk about comics and break them down. I I really Mm -hmm. love the comic vine podcast that ended a few years ago. I listened to comic book club and the stack and all of that. I listened to a lot of different comic book podcasts I find it hard to find a podcast that really focuses on on breaking down issues that are coming out that week and, and really going in mm-hmm. depth and talking about them. So so that's what we decided to do on our podcast.
1: That's cool. Yeah, what I, I wish I could find more comic book podcasts, but my whole thing is I read by trades and I typically only get them when they're on sale. So most of the comic book podcasts, they talk about, you're, they're focusing on single issues a lot. So... If I, if I try to listen to it, then um, I'll get, end up getting the stuff spoiled months before I can actually read it. Um, yeah. That's why I like, uh, but we've had a, a host of Digging for Kryptonite. That That's a great Superman podcast that is going back and like doing stuff a lot that is easier for me to access. And so I don't feel as spoiled when I read those type when I listen to that one.
2: Sure. There's some really good ones out there. I don't know if Jay and Miles are still doing the Explain the X-Men podcast or not. I listened to that for a while and it was really great. Kind of went into a lot of the uh, Uncanny X-Men stuff and then the spinoffs and then went really deep into New Mutants, which was really cool. It's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite series. But yeah, I like ones that are that are able to kind of take that deep dive and and really explain something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what are some of the, the the best comics you've read recently then?
2: Oh God. Well, <laughs> I I just read a new number one that came out from dark horse where monsters lie. Phenomenal, phenomenal comic book. I think it's just going to be a five part mini, but it is so insanely good. Um, I've actually been kind of like digging back into the deep catalog. Uh, I haven't been reading too much new stuff other than the stuff that I'm reviewing. So i've been going back to kevin smith's run on daredevil i love that i I can read that one time um i just love to pop in and out of uncanny x-men i don't even care where it doesn't even matter to me in the in the 100s go all the way you know back to the 450s or whatever there's some great stuff in there i'm always down for reading new mutants and then of course i suggested man thing because that's one of my absolute favorite comic books of all time i i love reading man thing i i probably try to go back and, and read a Man-Thing comic book at least every other week or so. Um, I really love all the classic runs on Man-Thing. I even like the horrible like R.L. Stein run. Uh, mm. I get, yeah, I can get down on all of that stuff. So that's kind of the stuff I've been reading lately. I have been really enjoying the dark web, Amazing Spider-Man stuff that's been going on. Um, the Wonder Woman stuff over at DC has been really, really great. So that's kind of where I've been with comics lately.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I just finished reading the, um, I think it was the second volume of uh, it. Uh, that Spider-Man run. That's Zeb Wells, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just finished reading the second run of the, after the Beyond stuff, the second run of the the second book in the Beyond after the post-Beyond era. Um, oh, okay. And I enjoy it. I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what comes next in it. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, also, I, I'd, I'd had that same type of thing where kind of one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast was because I'd also wanted had that thing where I wanted to talk more about comic books and, and superheroes and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, it's tough to find people to, to talk about that stuff. And it's even harder for me because I live in rural Japan. So nobody knows about that stuff here. Um, and my wife can only put up with me for so long before she just tunes out. And um, so and, and that's also one of the reasons why I started the, the comic book Patreon show as well, so that we could have more discussion of the comics and that kind of stuff, too. Um, but like you mentioned uh, today, we are talking about Man-Thing, the 2005 version of it. So uh, so I had to track this movie down um, at a rental store here in Japan, and they've got an app for the rental store and I was looking on the app, to, and it shows you which stores the move, has the movie in stock and everything. And they also have reviews. And almost every single review of this movie was mentioning the fact that it was not the same as the Werewolf by Night special <laughs> that had Man-Thing in it. And it, everybody was just so disappointed because it's like, this isn't the same Man-Thing. So I thought that was kind of funny that this had spread so far that now people are actively seeking out Man-Thing content.
2: Yeah, I find that really interesting. That's that's really cool to hear. I think that, you know, that that Werewolf by Night special is very successful. People really really enjoy that. Um, not so much with this 2005 movie. I I know that that's kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. like a forgotten thing. A lot of people forget that that even exists. I definitely don't um, I it, it's it's something that I try to watch every now and again every every you know couple of years or something um, I think that it's a really really interesting interesting movie that kind of stands on its own but yeah it's, it's definitely not not what you'd expect
1: yeah um, it it was it is completely forgotten and I had had like I told you when you would email me about this every now and then I remember that this movie exists and I'd never seen it before, but I do remember that it exists. And I had always kept wondering, I'm like, I wonder if anyone's ever going to request man thing. I'm like, probably not. <laughs> and I think I actually just had that thought, like maybe a day or two before I got your email. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. So someone finally is going s- <laughs> to ask to watch this movie. So then I was able to track it down. Cause I'd always been curious about it. Um, I remember back when it was in production, I saw some of the... um... Okay, uh, so yeah, like I was saying, I I remember seeing articles about it, maybe in Wizard Magazine or or online or something like that. And I remember seeing some stills of the Man-Thing design. And at the time, thinking like, oh, that looks pretty interesting. That looks kind of cool. So I was kind of curious about it. And then they said that it was... It was being pulled from the originally planned theatrical release. It was just going to be released. uh, And then it ended up being premiering on sci-fi channel, actually, which I don't think I even had cable at the time. So I never actually saw it um, when it first came out and then it wasn't. And then, you know, just kind of flew under the radar and never popped up on anything. So I just kind of forgot about it, probably like most people and only saw it you know, last night when I picked it up for for this episode. Um, but before we dive too much into the movie itself, you had mentioned that you were, you're a big Man-Thing fan uh, mm-hmm. from the comics. So uh, tell us a little bit about your introduction to the character.
2: Yeah, so I, look, I couldn't even tell you where this comes from, how it was such a big deal to me, other than I remember being a kid and, and seeing some Man-Thing books in my local shop, thinking they looked really cool. And, and of course, like everybody else, knowing about Swamp Thing first. Even though Man Thing was created a few months before Swamp Thing, um, still Swamp Thing always gets all the credit, and everybody, mm-hmm. you know, thinks that uh, that Marvel ripped off DC and and created Man Thing as I don't know a response to that, which, right. which of course isn't the case. Um, the actual case is that there there's a character called the Heap in an Airboy comic from like the 40s, and and that's where mm-hmm. both characters kind of come from. So. I think that I just, you know, being really into the monster side of the Marvel universe and and I really liked Hulk a lot. And then I got more into kind of seeing these cool creatures and stuff, these monsters in the Marvel universe, seeing those man thing books, I was just really intrigued by them, started picking them up and, and reading them as a kid. And they're just, they're so out there. Of course, we know that, you know, you get introductions like Howard, the duck was first in, in man thing books, uh some of those that first uh, savage tales you know definitely isn't for kids but mm-hmm. <laughs> but i remember picking that up and reading through it and then whenever a Thing essentials came out when i was a little bit older and some of those omnibuses and stuff uh just some really really cool great stories in there that they really kind of dug deep and really did some crazy off the wall stuff with that really worked i love swamp thing too but i feel like these two characters are in such a different universe and they tell such different stories and they're just really, really interesting. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's why I'm more intrigued by man thing. And that's why uh, I got really into the character. That's why I'm a big fan. I remember, like you were saying, I remember this movie being announced and everything. I can't remember if, if it was in, in wizard magazine or, or wherever, wherever we got that information from, but I remember it being announced and just being so excited about it. I don't even remember thinking it was going to theaters. I remember hearing it was going to sci-fi and I was like, great, I've got sci-fi channel. I'm watching this the second it drops. I was, I was so excited about it. So.
1: Yeah. Um, talking about the, the Swamp Thing connection, because it was mm-hmm. actually, you know, you, like you said, a lot of people think that, you know, Man Thing was ripped off the Swamp Thing, even though you look at it and it actually, Man Thing actually came out earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and they both seem to have been, um, heavily ins- drawing heavy inspiration from The Heap which now is actually in public domain so yeah. <laughs> if they just waited a few years they could have just taken The Heap <laughs> um but and it it's really interesting when you look at it because apparently so Man Thing was created by uh Roy Thomas uh Stanley and um Jerry Conway and mm-hmm. Gray Stan Stanley
2: threw out the name at least so Right Stanley <laughs> came up with the name and
1: he came up with the basic um mm-hmm some of the basic origin sketches like uh, Roy Thomas said that Stan had called him back in the early seventies. And he had just had a couple of sentences, like the notion of a guy working on an experimental drug for the government. Mm -hmm. um, And then, you know, getting fused with the swamp and becoming this creature. And And, and that was basically the, that was basically what Stan had given Roy Thomas and and Thomas had kind of ran with that concept and took it a little bit further. But, uh, what was interesting is, um, you know, he brought on Jerry Conway to work on it too. And, um, Len Wein, who, uh, came up with, uh, created Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he was actually rooming with Jerry Conway at the time. So they had probably (laughs) had, um, they just kind of had this, it, it, it was it was like a serendipitous thing where they were both kind of just simultaneously kind of working on the same thing, I believe. Um, and something similar happened with uh, X-Men and Doom Patrol, right? Those are another two properties that came out pretty much at the same time. People always say, you know, Doom Patrol was a ripoff of X-Men or X-Men was a ripoff of Doom Patrol. But the lead time for the production back then probably wasn't possible for them to have been ripoffs. It was just one of those weird coincidences that happened.
2: Yeah, can you imagine at, at that time in the at, at least when we're talking about Man Thing and Swamp Thing here, like in the in the seventies like that, I guess mid-70s, whatever. Mm-hmm. Trying to come up with a character, character designs, origin story, all that, get it to the presses and everything, get it out within months of one another, and then I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that there was most likely you know, these, they were roommates. So of course they were kind of talking about the projects they were doing. One another was seeing what they were doing. Sure. Whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I, think it would be fair to be like, I don't know. Here's my swamp creature. Here's my swamp creature. And kind of, uh, kind of run with it. I had heard too, that Marvel did consider taking DC to court over it, but then, you know, they knew that it was going to get shot down because of the heap. So that's why mm-hmm. it was kind of left it alone. But yeah just, yeah, just a really interesting thing, a really interesting time to come out with with two of those characters that are so similar. But then they're very similar to people who don't read comics. You go in and read the comics, they're not similar at all. They're just swamp creatures. That's the only similarity.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And um, Thomas said the same thing. He said, like, you know, after the, after the origins, they kind of diverge pretty mm-hmm. drastically from that point on. Yeah, very. Um, swap thing, you know, he has his own... He, he they're very different types of characters beyond just the swamp similarities. swamp thing is you know he's got he's much more human-like in terms of sentience and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. whereas man thing uh isn't really able to communicate like a human or or or, or anything like that um now i'm not as you can be just based on emotion right yeah um my experience with Man Thing is I don't know much about his uh, his original his original comics though. Mm-hmm. I, I've read him in other stuff that he's popped up in, like sure. um, fairly recently. There was uh, I think it was it was a Jeff Parker who did a run on Thunderbolts where he had him in, as yes. uh, one of the characters in there, <laughs> um, and a bunch of other comics he's popped up in here and there. And obviously he was in the Werewolf by Night special. Although I do have um, the Steve Gerber complete collection and. Oh, yeah, and I, I picked those up on one of the the Comicsology sales a while back. So they've just been sitting there on my Kindle. I'm like, along with like, you know, don't even get me started on how many I have in my to read pile. But it's well, a lot of stuff. And so I'm just, I was looking through it, and I was thinking last night after I watched the movie, I'm like, you know what, I should, pr- I want to actually have some more context for the for the character before we go into this discussion. So I opened up the the first volume, which has his first appearance as well as a bunch of other stories and started reading it. And, and yeah, that first issue, you know, it it definitely has a lot of the same trappings as Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then after that, it, it gets, it diverges pretty much. And, you know, there's now the whole thing with, uh, I'm not sure exactly when this happened in the comics, but he ends up being um, the nexus of realities and is able to transport himself and, and anyone else and across across time and space and all that kind of stuff so there's that aspect of him too whereas swamp thing it's almost like and you could i could be wrong here so you could correct me if i am but Mm -hmm. my understanding seems to be that man thing is less connected to the swamp itself and it's more about the nexus type thing whereas swamp thing is much more connected to the environment and all that kind of thing
2: yeah, and that would be something that's a little hard to tell if you only saw this movie and weren't reading the comics. Uh, not not to say you personally, but you know anyone. The the thing about Man Thing is is yeah, like you noted at the beginning with his origin story, he's he's kind of coming up with this next super soldier serum, this next Captain America serum, and obviously uh, I, I can't remember if it's AIM or whoever. Somebody comes into yeah it's AIM yeah AIM. Okay, so AIM breaks into his lab or whatever to take it. And he is kind of like, okay, the only thing I can do is is, is uh, hop out this window and inject myself with the serum and, and see what happens, you know, that way nobody can get it. And then, yeah, he does. It, it's not that he becomes infused with the swamp. I think that that is a misconception that a lot of people think if they don't really look into it, it's the fact that, and maybe this was retconned. I can't really remember off the top of my head, but it's that he was so close to that nexus of all realities right there in the swamp that that's why it had the effect on him the way that it does. And that's why he is kind of the gatekeeper and protector of the nexus of all realities on earth. So yeah, just, just some cool off the wall out there, psychedelic (laughs) 70s stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I could be wrong here, but I think that, the Nexus stuff was a retcon. Cause I did not see any mention of it in the original stuff. And yeah, that definitely. may have been an intentional choice to, to try and pull more away from Swamp Thing
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: as well. So maybe that, maybe that was what they were thinking. Um, and that was probably, that sounds like a Gerber idea. So I bet it was Gerber who, yes. who introduced that. <laughs> <Absolutely.
2: retcon. laughs> yeah. Um, Gerber's Got some great ideas.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love his, his defenders run is like one of my favorite comics ever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that and I'm saying that without having really read his man thing, other than what I just started reading, or without having read Howard the Duck, which again is also something I've got and will get around to, hopefully at some point before I die. Talk about out there, yeah, that Howard the yeah. Duck stuff is pretty insane. <laughs> um. So, uh, so yeah, he's an interesting character. He's got a very interesting backstory, and mm-hmm. and even me going into this movie with only those kind of you know, much more vague ideas about him, not as well developed. Um when I was watching this movie last night, the thing I was that kept jumping out to me throughout it is well two things. First off, it's weird to see Rachel Taylor in this because she would go on yes. to play uh Trish in uh, Jessica Jones. Sure, so uh Hellcat pre-Hellcat. Yeah, she's Hellcat. Yeah, pre-Hellcat. So you could kind of do a mental retcon and say that she was uh this was this was before she became Hellcat. Um, but the other thing I was thinking is that it feels like someone took um, a generic monster movie script and just kind of laid Man-Thing over on top of it. Because, you know, the stuff about the Nexus, like you said, that's not really in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Man-Thing, you know, he's killed people in the comics, but it's usually some sort of reason. He, he seems like a bit more... Almost kind of just like you know, a traditional monster, he does seem much more like the villain in this movie. Um, and and just like the way he the way his his tentacles move. In fact, one of the reviews I saw on Letterboxd was pointed out, you know, um, you know about you know whatever the man thing touch you know you know fear burns the touch of the man thing whatever the the exact line is and it's like how can you have that that is the character's one thing and you don't use it at all in the movie
2: well yeah it's really funny that you say that too because they they took a lot of things that are really important to the character of man thing and and kind of threw those out the window so obviously the origin story is completely different this Mm -hmm. is now in this movie a native american uh instead of just a, a i mean dr ted salas is just like a normal white dude he's not like a native american or anything in his his mm-hmm. normal origin story in the in the comics. so so now he's a native american it, look that's that's fine i don't mind that part but so there's no super soldier serum um there's there's nothing about, like you said, the nexus that's completely taken out. The, mm-hmm. the way that man thing operates is, is like you said, whoever knows fear burns at the touch of the man thing or burns at the man thing's touch. Um, so essentially the man thing runs on, on emotion. He mm-hmm. is kind of bothered by like any high emotion. If if you, if you're scared, if you're fearful, if you're angry or whatever, then the Man-Thing touches you and you catch on fire, basically. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happens in the comics. It's it's funny because sometimes you'll see the Man-Thing fighting alligators or whatever, and and I don't know that anything can be said. I, I don't know where we stand on, on if we feel like animals you know, sense fear or whatever, but I, I at least kind of feel like they do. So, so sometimes you'll see these battles and there's not really anything happening with the alligator. And then all of a sudden the alligator catches on fire and dies. And, Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, kind of like an interesting thing that happens in the books. Um, But yeah, one of the, one of the biggest things that caught me off guard with this movie was the fact that this takes place in Louisiana. Um, Mm -hmm. Man thing is, is from Citrusville, Florida. That's where man thing exists in the comic books. Right. not for the life of me figure out why they decided this needed to be set in in new orleans it makes absolutely no sense to me i don't know why they they switched that up um but yeah that was that was also a very
1: interesting thing that
2: happened in this movie
1: well, yeah that's another that that jumped out to me and i believe swamp thing is actually is he is swamp Thing set in louisiana i think he is I cannot remember where. one. I can't remember it. I I believe so but um so that was an interesting thing I noticed too. I also, you know, looking at the appearance, I was looking at the effects on uh, mm-hmm. the man thing creature in this and like the tendrils flying around everywhere and then and I'm thinking I'm like okay, so it's got the eyes it 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 looks very familiar and I was thinking mm-hmm it looks familiar, to the man thing and then i you know i compared it back some and then I, when i opened up the book afterwards i'm like oh wait no the man thing in the comics looks completely different and then i realized yeah, what you know, it was is i was over. thinking i was thinking of swamp thing
2: <laughs> yeah man thing's definitely more uh, kind of built i mean not that this isn't like a big creature but he's he's bulkier he's he's mm-hmm. a little more hunched over he has this great big trunk that's his trademark kind of trunk that splits off into 3s yeah, and this this character doesn't have it now. Don't get me wrong; I think this is a really cool character design. It's a cool-looking monster, and and it's it's practical until they add the CG mm. with the you know vines and everything coming out, the tendrils or whatever we might call that. Um, so, I think that it's it's an amazing, really cool-looking design, but it <laughs> does not look anything like anything from the book.
1: Yeah, I, I remember thinking, I'm like, you know what, maybe, I think what it kind of looks like is it's almost like Swamp Thing with a beard.
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> and so now I find myself wondering if maybe this was like a proposed Swamp Thing reboot or something that then they couldn't get the rights for Swamp Thing, so they decided, let's use Man Thing instead.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. There's not really enough history or, or anything, uh, stories about the production or anything out there. I did listen a couple of years ago. There was a podcast that I was listening to. It might've been from comicbook.com, but don't quote me on that. I can't remember, but they, there was, there was no special features really with this DVD release or, or sci-fi channel release. So the director came on and did a director's commentary. So he sat through the movie and watched it and he even stated himself, he was proud of this movie and everything, but he had not watched it since it came out. And I guess this was, you know, somewhere around like 10 years later or something, I would say mm-hmm. 2015, 2016, something like that. And so as he's going through this, he's, he's talking about how he had a completely different story in mind. And this was at the time, this was 2005. So, so the MCU was a completely different animal than it, than it became. Um, right.
1: Well, it didn't even exist back then.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you still had your, your, I don't know, Marvel logo right at the front of the movie. This mm-hmm. is, I, I believe this is the first time we see that, I think. Um, I could be wrong, but it, I, I, I don't remember. No, because exactly. that would have been the yeah. first time.
1: The first time was in Spider Man. Okay. So this yes. same. Yeah, the, the Flipping Pages okay. logo. The first time they had that was in, in Spider Man. Um, okay. Okay. So X, X- Men. Yeah. It was after X Men, then Spider Man was the first time they introduced it. Um, okay. Pretty sure about that. Either that or it was X Men 2 that was the first one. But it was one of those okay. two.
2: Well, yeah. So, so this is early on. They're they're just kind of, I don't know, figuring out what what works and what doesn't. But the the head of Marvel at that point, Kevin Feige, still involved. I don't think he's the head of Marvel. I think that Avi Arad is that his name? Yeah,
1: Avi Arad was like the executive producer on all the the pre Feige mm-hmm. stuff, and he was yeah, kind of running so, the show. Yeah,
2: yeah. So he had had a big hand in this, and he he kind of took that, w- what they had in the script and was like, nope, this isn't going to work and, and, and sent it back for rewrites. And mm-hmm. so at, at the very least, this director is kind of pinning the, the failure of this movie and what happened to it on, on him. Mm-hmm. So I find that really interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. Obviously we don't have Abiy Arad's uh, side of the story. So, so who knows, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, back then Marvel was in such desperate straits because, you know, they had declared bankruptcy in the mid-late nineties. It was like ninety-seven, yep. I think it was, or ninety-eight, somewhere around there. And it wasn't until Iron Man that they actually finally got out of bankruptcy. Iron Man was kind of like their Hail Mary to to finally get out of bankruptcy. It was one of those types it was like a do-or-die situation. It was mm-hmm. like, you know what, we're gonna try this. If this doesn't work that's it we're done and
2: and, and that was what 2008 2000 that
1: was 2008 yeah, 2008, yeah um yeah. so like in the early 2000s after like all throughout the 90s and the early 2000s marvel was just licensing out their their ip to anyone who would who was willing to to pick it up that's how we got things like you know the roger corman fantastic four that's how we got <laughs> the um you know uh Uh, the Generation X TV movie, and you know, all this type of stuff that was just kind of like churned out, and Blade even, right? Blade was just like, well, we've got this character, let's just see if anyone wants to do anything with it, and that ended up working out great. And then finally, after sitting on the rights for about 10 years, Fox finally made the X-Men movie, that hit it big, and then after that, you know, they had finally worked out the rights with Spider-Man, Sony was able to release the first Spider-Man movie, again, hit it big, and then Marvel just kind of went on a and that got so many other studios interested. And then all these studios just started going to Marvel. It's like, hey, what else you got? What else you got? And Marvel's just like, oh, we got this, we got this, we got this. And they just kept giving it out to anybody. And the result was while you have this this slew of Marvel movies that came out in the early 2000s of very varying degrees of quality. You had stuff that was, you know, earnest, but, you know, didn't quite hit the mark, like, you know, the directors cut a Daredevil mm-hmm. or, um, Ghostwriter, Spirit of Vengeance or the Fantastic Four movies. You had stuff that was just, you know, utterly terrible, like Electra. And and it was just... Or one of the things that I thought of when I was watching this is this feels like... This totally feels like one of those 2005 Marvel movies where it's just kind of... It's there. There are some things to admire about it. But ultimately, I think the biggest sin of this movie is kind of like the biggest sin of, of Morbius, where it's just... It's not bad enough to be entertainingly bad, but it's also not good enough to rise above mediocre. It's just kind of there is what I felt throughout most of the the runtime. Yeah, it's
2: look, I I've probably said this five times already. It's a very, very interesting movie. It's a very interesting project. It's very interesting that Marvel or or whoever would take this property and think in, in 2005, this is... This is something that's going to generate us any type of revenue. Um, I, I of course, am there for it. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to be there for it no matter what because it's man thing. So, so I'm there. But I think the problem is you take this completely unknown character, set it up against a, a, a very well known DC property that, that people know and kind of love, whether they like those movies or not. I, I think is you know doesn't matter either way, but but the name recognition of it. So then you take that and then this wasn't really marketed to anyone. It was a sci-fi channel original at that point. So who's really tuning in to watch this thing? What are other sci-fi channel originals, you know, around the time They're they're kind of these weird one and done things that you just kind of catch if you're like sick home from school that day or whatever, like, right. It's not really for anybody. I don't even think they had come out with their, their big kind of, uh, sharknado type of stuff or or whatever they were doing at that you know a little bit later on yet so so this movie comes out and it's just it's it's crazy it's out there and then it completely takes the origins and and everything you know about the character if you read the character and flip it on its head the only thing that you keep in is the the character's name Mm -hmm. uh the you know, Dr. Ted Salas's name, who's, who's not a doctor anymore. And
1: right, he's a shaman and chieftain now, apparently. Yeah.
2: So, so he's he's essentially a completely different character. You take away the powers of the man thing, like we talked about, and and kind of what are you left with? And 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 again, the biggest thing to me, the biggest, most glaring thing, you take him out of Citrusville, you take him out of Florida, mm. put him in Louisiana. So, it is, it is just a completely different thing. Again, that director was talking about how. He had a different movie planned. He had something different in mind. Uh, the studio kind of shoehorned in the romance of all of it, which was not that mm-hmm. so cool. was within the original script. Kind of that ending too. He wanted he wanted everyone to die. So <laughs> that was also a, a studio note, which that one makes sense. I, I could understand why you don't want your, your leads to die or whatever in the movie. but mm-hmm. But it needed to end for him on that kind of somber note, like this man thing just kind of went on this killing spree because of what was happening in the swamp, because he was the protector of the swamp. And, and, and then the studio took that away from him too. So I can see both sides of the story here. I can see how it fell apart. He had a vision. Now, why he took that vision to Australia, built a giant tank and put a fake swamp in it, and then set it in Louisiana with people with Australian accents trying to do a Southern American accent. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, there's some very interesting aspects of this.
1: Well, yeah, and also they, you know, they don't even include any of the characters or even similar type characters from those Man Thing comics, like, yeah, you like know, Jennifer, um, Kale. <laughs> Jennifer Kale, right? She, there's no mention of her. Uh, you know, she's a sorceress character from Marvel who shared a psychic link with Man Thing, and then, um, you know, from what I even from what I was reading in the origin story last night, you've got you know Ellen Brandt, who's you know posing as Ted's love interest, but she's yeah. really working for AIM. Um, then you've got you know Barbara Morse who eventually becomes Mockingbird. You've got Kazar mm-hmm. in there in those early issues, oh, yeah. and while you can't, you probably can't use all those characters directly. You probably can't have Aim. You probably mm-hmm. can't have uh, Mockingbird. You probably can't have Kazar, but you could probably do Jennifer Kale, and you could probably at least have versions of these characters, even if they have different names, right? So if it's not AIM, it's like some other terrorist organization. If it's not um, Barbara Morris, then you just come up with some different name and just but have her fill in that same role. Oddly enough, I think the um, the the original Wes Craven movie actually Mm -hmm. seems to be more like Man-Thing's origin than this movie (laughs) does. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well look, this definitely strays completely from Man Things Origins. I think that's always gonna be the question on my mind anytime I think of this movie is is why. Why did they feel the need to to completely separate it from from what it was and make it something completely different? And I don't think we'll ever get really an answer to that. I could see why they they weren't able to tie in a lot of those things based on, on the fact that they changed so much of it. You bring it over to Louisiana all of this stuff um, there you, you add in the native American aspect to it and the kind of protectors of that land. They did bring over one character though. Um, One, one important uh, man thing kind of villain. And that is Frederick uh, Schist. So F a Schist, Mr. Fascist. So he is from the comics. (laughs) So, so that's a cool character that they brought over. And of course they, they brought over the director plays, I cannot remember the last name, but Val, who's one of the um, he's the coroner in the movie, and he is one of uh, famous Man-Thing artists. Mike Plug, of course, <laughs> a famous Man-Thing artist. And then Steve Gerber, the the photographer there, who's the writer of Man-Thing. So they they tried to throw in like a little, a little bit of fan service, I guess, here and there a, a little bit for us. But they weren't able to tie it into to marvel like to to the entire marvel universe this was very very standalone in man thing and then on top of that completely flipped on its head too so
0: yeah
1: uh so yeah that's val Mayeric. i think i'm pronouncing it right yeah. okay. um um but yeah they um And yeah, that's, that seems to be like the only really thing, like, you know, I, I didn't realize about the, uh, the Schist character, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, the other things, um, and they also have a photo of, of Stan Lee on the board of missing people. Yes. (laughs) So that was pretty, um, but yeah, other than that, they just, and it's, it's a weird thing to do when you're like, okay, we've ignored everything about this character, but we'll give you three of the creator's names instead. (laughs) feels like a weird kind of, that's not really the compromise you think it is, um, but yeah, And that's why I think I keep coming back to the fact that it feels like this was a complete... This was, you know, intended to be something completely different. Or at least it feels that way. And then it's just... They just kind of slap the man thing branding on it. And to your point that you had made before, you don't really... Not really knowing who this movie is for. I, I was feeling... I was thinking the same thing. Because... Mm-hmm. And you're right. Starknator came out in, in 2013. So it was almost 10 years after this. But yeah, right. even still, you know, those sci-fi originals they've got a certain reputation right they're very schlocky very kind of low budget stuff and if you're gonna go for that you know that then swing for the fences right you know let's you know and the opening you know kind of does have a little bit you know you got you got the you got the camper who who's naked who's you know who, who's, who's naked for no reason and the blood splatters all over her chest and all that so you I got some of that but then after that. that
2: sorry i can give you a reason for that so okay. <laughs> in, in listening to the director's commentary, there he said that in order to get this film sold to foreign audiences, it's very, very big in Germany. That if you have a a movie, especially like a horror movie or any type of slasher, the very first thing they ask is how how much female nudity is in it. They're not even going to pick it up unless it has uh, <laughs> unless it has breasts in it. So he,
1: he said that's exactly what that was there for. that that's hilarious (laughs) they just that makes sense but it's weird that it has such a like a schlocky opening like that but then the rest of the movie just kind of slows down right after that point and it doesn't feel like it ever because that's what i thought going in because i i knew this movie's reputation and i thought okay well you know i know it's basically a low budget horror film is essentially what we're looking at here And when I saw that opening sequence, I'm like, okay, well, maybe at least it'll be like some schlocky bit of fun or something like that. But it it didn't really have that, you know, like that asylum Sharknado feel to it. And it just felt very kind of very kind of bland. And I think, like I said, if you're going to go for something like this then and you're not going to have like the big budget to do do it properly and you want to lean into the monster movie aspect of it, then really lean into that. Um, but instead we get this story with the sheriff who, I mean, he's decent enough. The actor is um, mm-hmm. Matthew Leneves. He's decent enough in the role. Rachel Taylor, you know, she's, she's decent enough. This is her first, this is her first gig anyway, too. Yep. She does a pretty good job with what she's given, but it's just, their story is, the characters are just, they're just so blandly written. And, you know, you made, a, you'd mentioned about the, the romance aspect. Like when that came in, it's just kind of like, okay, I kind of expected this, but, I don't see any reason why these two characters would get together.
2: Yeah, I don't either. And then on top of that, you look at some of the times that they're together, some of the times they're, they're making out or whatever they're making out right after somebody's killed right in front of them by the man thing they're making out. Like right after the man thing kind of disassembles himself and and phases back into the swamp and everything. It's very awkward at these points where, where they feel the need to, to, to just grab one another. (laughs) Mm. It's, yeah, you can tell it's very forced in the script because it just wasn't there in the initial script. I, I think that that's pretty obvious. And I think if you take, look, I'm I'm all for for having fun. So to me, I definitely don't consider this movie as bad as, as most reviewers do. A lot of people would say this is garbage and just completely skip it. I, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say this is, I think this is worth watching. I don't mm-hmm. think that it's, a fun time all the way through. It, it definitely has its ups and downs. Um, I think that if you take it at face value, you can have a lot of fun with it. I think that if you stack it up against Man-Thing's Origins and the comic books and everything, you're of course going to be very disappointed. It, it mm-hmm. It's a lot of things for, for no apparent reason and you're just never going to get an answer to. I was saying before that I listened to that commentary, the main reason I listened to that commentary, I was really, really hoping that the director would would tell us why some of these things happened, why some of these choices were made, especially why it, Man-Thing was moved from from Florida <laughs> to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And there's just – it's not even mentioned. There's no answer to any of that. You're not going to get an answer. It just kind of is what it is, and you're either along for the ride and having fun or you're just, hey, this is a bad movie. Stay the hell away from this.
1: There's You can be in one camp or the other, I guess. I think I fall somewhere between those two. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you. It's not a completely worthless movie. I think it's, I think there's a lot of competent things in there. I think it's, the direction is pretty, is pretty good. It's pretty well shot. Um, The performances, you know, we get, like I said, we have some decent performances from, from Rachel Taylor, from Lenevez. I'm blanking on one of the other guys too, but, um, uh, Steve Bastoni, he was also not too bad. He, I thought he was pretty convincing in it. You, when you get some of the villains in there, like the the Thibodeaux, then they, they just kind of get over the top, and then you start getting into like... Uh, well, they're
2: like cartoon characters, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I was thinking about like the, um, the Yokels in like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th or something like that, but... And that's why it it almost feels like this movie doesn't really know what it wants to be. It doesn't know if it wants to be that kind of like schlocky horror film or if it wants to be something that's aiming to be something more serious. It's like this weird middle ground. It's like pick a side.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the with the rewrites. I, I The director did say that this was just a completely different thing. But what I do gather from that being a completely different thing is that it it still wasn't going to be a good thing either way. It's not like he had a good idea in mind, and it got changed to to something bad. This was going to be bad, in in a way either way. Again, it's just how you look at it. Whenever you go into it, if you want to have fun with it, or if you want to just say this is this is absolute shit, you know that's kind of up to you. And, And that's what I think that we do with a lot of movies or a lot of media that we consume. Look, for me personally. I have sat down no less than six times and tried to watch the uh, Matt Reeves Batman movie and I can't make it 30 minutes in. It's To me, it's like unforgivable. I can't even watch it. Now, this is like a highly acclaimed film that a lot of people really love and they think that Matt Reeves did a wonderful job and Robert Pattinson is wonderful in the role. And then you have me who's not trying to be pretentious and act cool or anything. I just, I can't make it through it. It's not connecting to me at all. It's It's dark and it's not going anywhere. And it's just... I hate it, but that's, that's probably me sitting down. Like I, I, I said at the top of this episode, I'm not a Batman guy, so it's hard for me to Mm -hmm. go in sometimes. Now the Christopher Nolan trilogy, I can sit through. I got no problem with all those nineties Batman movies are super fun. I have no problem with any of those. I can watch the Batman animated series. Something about this newer incarnation just isn't for me. And I think that that can happen to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But you take something like this, and you have to remember, this is a low-budget movie. This is not your your Hollywood MCU movie. This this is a very low-budget movie, and a lot of this movie was spent on – or a, a lot of the budget for this movie was spent on recreating a, a swamp that's supposed to look like it's in Louisiana over in Australia. You know, they completely had welders, they had builders, all these people out creating these – Giant, massive tanks and and filling them with with things to make it look like a swamp, which look pretty cool, but it doesn't look like an actual swamp.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I get what you I get what you're saying with that. I mean, there there are definitely some movies like th- like that that I'm with. I mean, you know, a lot of people love the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I despise <laughs> that movie. I just yeah. it's just so fucking to me. That. It's just like it's just so fucking long, and mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't really and, and it's needlessly long. It feels like it's just you know, it feels like he's just masturbating on screen. Actually, for some for a long stretch, and so yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. And um, I mean, I I I love the Batman, but you know, the um, you know, the Dark Knight Rises. Like I I don't I I think I'll be very satisfied if I go the rest of my life and I never see it again. I don't need to see it again. Um, so yeah. I definitely. And there are movies also that other people despise that I think are. You know, completely underrated. You know, like mm-hmm. I mentioned, the director's cut of Daredevil. I will defend that movie to my grave. Um, oh man,
2: I love Daredevil.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and a bunch of other ones too that I think. You know, so yeah, th- it's it, it's that whole thing about you know, you know, opinions are like assholes. We all got them, and they all and they all stink. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, and I couldn't. And like I said, I, I don't think this is completely worthless. My whole thing going into it was just I didn't feel that it was bad enough to be entertaining and it wasn't mm-hmm. good enough to be entertaining it was just this kind of like bland middle like if you're you know if you have a if you have a you know a nice cooked steak that's you know it's cooked really well it's nice and it's nice and pink on the inside it's got nice flavor into it or if you've got something that's just been burnt to a crisp right mm-hmm. either way you're gonna have an experience this is just something where it's like you know it's a well-done steak but it's it's not bad enough to be like oh my god i gotta tell you about this worst steak i ever had type of thing but it's also it's not enjoyable either it's just kind of like there and that's why i actually compare this movie to morbius because morbius kind of disappointed me not because I, I expected it to be good but mm-hmm. because i expected it to be spectacularly bad and then i watched it and i thought it was just boring
2: yeah and it's, I, there. it's not memorable enough for you to, to right. really even comment on it that's yeah i i completely agree with you on that this is, again, this is a, it, it's in between for me as well. It's a fun watch, but it's also hard to watch. I find myself mm-hmm. sitting there for, for 20 minutes, kind of really intrigued. And then after that, I, I want to pick up my phone and start seeing, you know, what's going on in the news or something and then, and wait for something out of the corner of my, I wait for a man thing to show up or something like that. It's a hard watch. Um, it, it's still fun. It's, it's all over the place. It's a really mm-hmm. really weird movie. It's a weird experience.
1: Yeah, and I was I was comparing it in my head to the the West Craven Swamp mm-hmm. thing too because that movie has its flaws. It's definitely not a perfect movie by any stretch of the ma- imagination, but it was there's a there's a certain charm to that movie. Mm-hmm. Um that it just feels like this movie just does, doesn't quite have, you know. And there are other superhero movies like that too. I mean, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man too has a lot of problems with it, but there's there's a certain charm to it because you got you got Andrew Garfield, you've got um you got Emma Stone in there, and just the charm of those two alone makes you want to sit through the bad parts of that movie.
2: That's there's uh, not an I, I love that you bring up the Amazing Spider-Man because that's look, that's that's a whole different ballgame or whatever, a whole different topic, but but that's kind of the same thing if you think about it. It's something that really like Andrew Garfield should never have been Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Like he doesn't work in that role, but at the same time, he's so cool. And I just want to see him as Peter Parker because I really like him a lot, Mm -hmm. but, but he's not Peter Parker. He's not Tobey Maguire. He's not, (laughs) he just, he's not Tom Holland. He doesn't have that same energy that they, they bring out as Peter Parker, but he's so cool. And I just want to watch him in the role. I don't know.
1: I'm so conflicted by it. You know what? He feels more like Ben Riley. (laughs) Uh-huh. I, that, I mean, I think if if you did a Scarlet Spider movie and had Andrew Garfield, I think that would be perfect because he does feel a lot more like Ben Reilly. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: And I'd love to see him somewhere else in the in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know we we had a, a little bit of him in the last Spider-Man movie, but mm-hmm. but God, I would love for him for, for them to cast him as somebody else because he's just so cool. I just want to see him mm-hmm. more in these movies. He's such a cool actor.
1: I'm still waiting for Emma Stone in a Gwen in a Spider Gwen movie.
2: <laughs> oh, that would be great, but uh, that I that that's still it, what I'm waiting. That yeah, I don't think, that, yeah, I don't think
1: we're ever going to get that. But I'm I'm still, I'll be holding out hope for that until the day either she dies or I die. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah, and it's just this movie. It just it doesn't have enough going for it to really keep me interested through those bad parts or through those slow parts. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. it's one thing if you had you know really intriguing characters but the the characters are just out of you know stock horror movie characters Mm -hmm. um it's one thing if you had inventive death scenes or something like that but you know you don't really have any of that and it's and i and even like some of the themes there are some interesting themes that this movie kind of introduces like you know the idea of you know you know Uh, taking over native lands and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, corporate exploitation of small towns or just like the pollution of the environment. All of this are really interesting ideas, but they never go anywhere. They just kind of sit there. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good.
2: You're good. I think that that's another really interesting part. They, they kind of, they, they don't go anywhere with these themes. They don't know, kind of what they want to do with them. And and you have some of these characters that some of these half-baked ideas that could be really interesting. I think before I was talking about the, the sci-fi original stuff like Sharknado and stuff like that, you have to think to yourself, Sharknado, sitting through a whole Sharknado movie, it's it's kind of the same thing. You wanna see all the crazy shit go on with the sharks and stuff like that, but the stuff in between where the where the characters are sitting there talk talking or whatever, like those are the boring parts, and that's that's the same thing here. Those this is the boring parts of this movie. This is what really suffers and makes it, you know, less than a B movie or whatever, with this really low budget, without, you know, any really good editing or anything going on, without anyone taking a second look at that script and saying, Hey, this doesn't work. This doesn't narratively make any sense here. This needs to be cut out. You can tell a lot of that's missing. And a lot of this was just kind of the director going back and forth with, with Avi. I can never say his name. Avi Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of what was happening back and forth there. I think it really, really suffers from that. But again, I can't say for certain that this would be a better movie without any interference. Cause it sounded like he didn't really have a plan either way.
1: Yeah. And just from what you've you'd said, it sounds like he wasn't someone who was interested in the source material or, mm-hmm. or interested in finding out about the source material, because you can have someone who maybe doesn't come in a fan, but they're interested enough to, to do their research and do a pretty decent job. I mean, you know, Brian Singer, you know, the fact, the fact that he's a monster aside, he, you know, he he came in the X-Men movies and he wasn't a fan of the X-Men, but he read up on it. And there's still plenty of criticisms to have about those movies. But for the most part, I think he got more right than he got wrong, at least with the original movies. Let's not talk about Apocalypse. But again, that's another story. The Um, greatest
2: movie ever made? Come on, why not? (laughs) (laughs)
1: We're going to start a fight here any minute. But then, and then you've got other directors who, you know, they come in as a fan, and Mm -hmm. maybe they're too much of a fan, right? So, someone like Mark Steven Johnson with Daredevil and Ghost Rider, or Mm -hmm. Tim Story with the Fantastic Four, you can tell they they're obviously like the stuff, but they're they're not get they're they're not able to get over their fandom and to really. They're more concerned with like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, if we did this? But they're, they're forgetting about the fact that, yeah, but you got to have a, a good story that's going to appeal to more people. And that was kind of a problem with a lot of those movies. And then you've got you know this where it's you bring in someone who, probably similar to Josh Trank, who doesn't seem to be a fan of the movies, doesn't seem to be a fan of the comics, and just kind of wants to put his own stamp on it and doesn't really care about what this character is to other people. Yeah, it was it was so interesting and
2: eye-opening to listen to that commentary track. I really suggest that anybody do that if you can. Uh, again, I'm not selling it too well because I don't even remember which podcast it's from. But <laughs> um, it, it, it was just really cool to listen to, to hear his side of it. Because yeah, like you're saying, I never heard him really express any interest in the character. I never heard him really express any interest in, in working on a Marvel project or anything like that. It was just kind of another paycheck to him. Now, what I did hear a lot of was that he was really, really intrigued with Australia and wanted to go on vacation to Australia. And that's why he set up shop in Australia and convinced the studio you know, to take it there because it would cost a lot less and whatever. And he really ended up staying there for five years after this movie. There was nobody checking up on him other than him like sending the script and then dailies or whatever. Um, so... So it, it's it's really interesting what kind of comes across is like, hey, I just wanted to go out to Australia, and they kind of paid me to do that. So that's what I did. I ended up staying there and making a few other movies. This is the same guy that made Virtuosity and, and the lawnmower man. Like he's not right. uh, great at adapting other people's passions into a film. Um, I think that some of it looks great. I like the cinematography some of the cinematography and some of the mm. stuff I'm going to say all of it. And obviously he likes to work with like, you know, the cutting edge technology at the time, the computer animation and all of that on Lawnmower man, that looks interesting as hell. But, but then again, you know, what they did with practical and then CG effects here in this movie. Um, So it's just, it's such a mixed bag for me. There's so many bad things to say about this. And then there's some good things that I really like too. That's what, kind of drew me to it. That's why, look, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't even look through your list of movies of what had been done and what hadn't been done. I just sent in, let's do man thing. I, I guarantee that no one has ever suggested doing this movie and you haven't covered it. So
1: yeah, and you were right.
2: <laughs> it's just an interesting movie. I, I feel like it's something to talk about. It, it's definitely, it's not my favorite movie, but like I said, at, at the head of this, it is something that I go back to. I, I do try to continuously watch this you know at least every other year or so just so it's kind of fresh on my mind. I was really happy and and i I haven't gotten your spin on it yet but with the werewolf by Night special um with the depiction of man thing on that I think it was it was really cool. it was really interesting. It was really nice how they brought him in as a secondary character in this and he really. I'm not going to say stole the show because I feel like Elsa and, 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 uh, you know, Werewolf, yeah, uh, really, you know, held their own too. But, but this kind of brought the character to a lot of people's attention. A lot of people were trying to learn more about man thing. If you look at any of the recent sales on, on Savage Tales one or, or even man thing, volume one, number one man thing, volume two, number one, they've really, really gone up. Even that, uh, those adventure into fear books and everything really spiked after this and they are really holding as well. So it's a character that has been brought to a lot of people's attention now. And they're very interested in very interested in at least collecting and then learning more. So I think that there's, there's obviously something there with the character, but yeah, you're right. This director wasn't able to bring that over in his vision at all. He kind of just made something that seemed like the script to something else and then just kind of laid this on top of it. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's actually what happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause that's exactly what it feels like. Um, mm-hmm. now as far as man thing and world fun, I loved it. Like I was not expecting that at all. And so when mm-hmm. he pops out there, I'm like, Holy shit, it's a fucking man thing. Yeah. And like me, like I said, I'm not even a big fan of the character, but just seeing them, you know, pop up out of stream, like, it's fucking man thing. It's the giant mm-hmm. size man thing. <laughs> uh, and um, and my wife, she was like, "What? What are you? What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, it, "It's man thing." I'm like, "Don't forget it. Forget it. <laughs> this happens all the time." <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was great. And I, for me, actually, I thought he did steal this show because, um, you know, I mean, I like Marvel's horror characters. You know, Werewolf by Night, interesting enough. But I wasn't that intrigued by the idea of the werewolf by night special i thought oh this is kind of cool but i wasn't like you know oh i'm so looking forward to this mm-hmm. and so when i watched it i'm just like yeah yeah let's go along see what it is and then once man thing popped up that added a whole new spin for me that got me really in a lot more invested in it so so he definitely stole the show uh for me but your your point is taken though like you know bloodstone and and jack definitely held their own too um and i think yeah the, that character is definitely kind of blown up from just that appearance because like I said, even, even here in Japan, you know, all the reviews on the the rental site for this movie was just like, this isn't the same man thing. What the hell is this?
2: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to take something like this, this werewolf by night special and see what they did with the character. They didn't focus on the character. They didn't make him the central point, but once he was involved, everyone was very intrigued by him. Everyone's very invested in, in what was going to happen to him. They even kind of did something different with the Man Thing here, and and he refers to him as Ted, um, which is really cool. It kind of shows their relationship outside of mm-hmm. that. You know, he's just this hulking monster, Man Thing or whatever. He knows him as Ted. He knows them as as Doctor Theodore Salas, and 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 I think that that spin was really really cool. I really hope that there is a future for for Man Thing in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, in some way or another. And I think that. Marvel's smart enough to at least kind of exploit the character a little bit, do something a little bit more with them, with all the hype. But like you said, there in Japan, people are talking about uh, the character, uh, comparing the character to to what happened in this movie. And yeah, there's there's no way um, you can even set these two uh, against one another. The way that Man Thing is depicted in the Werewolf by Night special. Is completely night and day as to as to what happened here in Man Thing 2005. They really, really screwed, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. up, up everything. They screwed up his whole origin. They they everything that they could possibly do wrong with Man Thing, they did wrong.
1: Absolutely, yeah. wrong with the
2: movie, but this is not a Man Thing movie
1: no i mean and yeah there's and there's validity to that like there's there's something to be said for movies that are bad adaptations but you still like them anyway i mean mm-hmm. the keanu reeves constantine movie is a perfect example of it it's a, yes. it's a terrible adaptation of john constantine but you know as a movie in its own right it's entertaining it's it's a fun sure. movie um, Yeah, it's definitely a fun movie
2: i'm with
1: you on that. i mean one. and uh, and there's a bunch of other ones too um Spirit of Vengeance right I mentioned Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance before mm-hmm. not a great Ghost Rider adaptation but that is a damn fun movie it's a it's a it's a pretty fun ride uh, but yeah and then and that's why th- that's again I keep coming back to this this idea that it just feels like they're you know the, nobody he doesn't really know who this movie is supposed to be for and I think part of it is you know I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talked about how he wanted to go to Australia I think he was just kind of doing this as a way to get to Australia and that was it yeah, it looked like a
2: $7 million vacation, and, and, and that's kind of what it was. Uh, he he made some friends. Um, I mean, almost that whole commentary is just talking about these these actors that he worked with, these friends that he made, how he just had such a wonderful experience in Australia. Everything was about Australia. Now, why would you take something that takes place in, in a swamp, um, mm-hmm. somewhere that doesn't have a swamp? Like, what would be the purpose of that? Now you could easily, I mean, I don't know. I don't understand filming well enough to understand things like tax credits and stuff like that. I understand that that plays a big part in things. Obviously paying actors in the, in the States probably costs a lot more than paying actors in Australia where they're, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. They don't have a Hollywood scene or whatever, or the same kind. Um, So I could see how that's probably more easy to convince a, a studio to do or whatever, but but yeah, you're taking these central these central points of, of what makes the character, these these people that are in the South, and you're taking Australian actors who who have to learn a Southern accent on the fly and who break it a lot. I, I remember the first time watching this movie and all I could think of was, what are these accents? They're going in and out of a Southern draw. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of it there, but then it breaks or it's just not quite there. They don't get it all the way. The only character i can really recall that really kind of nails that is the the frederick schist character he he's kind of able to nail that accent in a way and then the other characters really just go in and out especially the secondary ones especially Mm -hmm. you've got that character whenever um the sheriff is first being escorted over to the swamp area and, and and he's in the boat and he says why is it called the by water. And he goes, cause it's by the water. <laughs> um, that was, that was a fun little line, but yeah, even that character just went in and out of his Australian accent. So
1: just that line, that stuff. line struck me as, uh just him. He, he was writing the script and he's just like, I got to think of a name for this place. Oh, I got this great idea for a joke.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a great joke. That's a, that's a good dad joke. I like it. I, I'm a fan, but yeah. Uh, I I can't find myself in any situation where I'd be able to reuse it. So I got to take points off for that.
1: I mean, I will say, like you talked about Man-Thing, what his role might be in the MCU going forward. I mean, we are getting secret wars and, you know, he's the guardian of the nexus of reality. So I think there's definitely something we could tie in there. Um, Another thing too, is I, this is just my personal thing, but a few years ago, Marvel did a Howling Commandos comic book with, um. Uh, with a bunch of the monster characters, it had uh, uh, Dum Dum Dugan, who was whose um, whose. Who's, it was the same mind, but it, his 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 mind was basically in a in an LMD body, so it was just like completely robot body. And his, but his mind is still Dugan's mind. He was leading this team of of monsters. And Man Thing, I think, was in that in that lineup too. And it was it was such a fun series. And I'm like that that would be so cool to do. Like you can get Man Thing in there. You can get you know Jack Russell in there. Uh, bring back Neil McDonough, have him play Dugan again, I think that would be a really cool MCU project to see. And that's like what I would love to see.
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely a way to continue to have Man-Thing in the the MCU without focusing on a solo film. I think that obviously that's something that's not going to happen. I don't think there's really any hope that we would get another Man-Thing movie. Um, This was really the only shot at that, I believe. But
1: I mean, throw you never know. We
2: got, we got an Eternals movie.
1: So, well, you know. sure, sure.
2: <laughs> but the character's been introduced and, and, and like you said, throw him in on a team. There's, there's a lot that he can do, uh, in, in a team. Um, there's a lot he can do in, in secret wars. Uh, he can, he can be involved with champions. There, there's just a lot that, uh, <laughs> that, I oh, yeah. mean, can... well,
1: yeah, I'd mentioned the, the Parker Thunderbolt. They're doing Thunderbolts now. That's definitely yeah. somewhere else mm-hmm. he could pop up too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Even if just, you know, small, small little parts or whatever, there's I I feel like there's definitely a future for for man thing in the MCU. And I hope that that we continue to see some of that. I think that that would be really cool. I, I had always kind of proposed this anytime I talk about the future of the MCU. And, and whenever we were waiting on the, the news from James Gunn, and whoever else is in, in, in charge of DC right now, to come out with their slate and everything. You know, there's a lot of, of superhero fatigue right now, at least that people talk about. I don't know how mm-hmm. true it is because box office money still speaks and yeah, and everything. But a lot of people, you have a lot of these acclaimed directors coming out against um uh, against the machine that that is the MCU, against superhero movies. You have Martin Scorsese, you have Quentin Tarantino, kind of, you know, saying their whatever they think, uh, their their old man speech uh, about how. You know, movies aren't the way that they were back in their day and all of that. Um, and and a lot of people are saying there's a lot of superhero fatigue out there. Again, a lot of people are saying that, you know, something like She-Hulk and Miss Marvel was bad. But yet you look at the ratings for them and they're they're rated pretty high, whatever. Um, I loved all of those projects. I love
1: both of those. Yeah, She-Hulk was probably my favorite of the yeah, Disney exactly. Plus Watching shows that today. Week
2: to week was amazing. It's just like reading mm. a comic book and waiting for the next one to come out. I loved it. But but, you know, whatever if it's just the trolls on the internet or whatever, then that's what it is. But a lot of people are saying that superhero fatigue exists is my point. And if it does exist, if if people really are tired of, of these projects and tired of seeing these things, well, what have we not explored yet? And what does the DC universe and the Marvel universe both have like in mass, like, you know, they have, they have so much horror, they have so much sci-fi, they have so much stuff that's not superhero related at all that they mm-hmm. could do something with. My take was, why doesn't DC come out swinging with their horror stuff? Why don't they come out with some of this witching hour tales uh, of the unexpected, um, y- you know, swamp thing, which, which they are, which I, I applaud them for the swamp thing and, and calling it, you know, a horror project and everything, but why not take a different angle? We've already seen the Trinity a million times. I don't need mm-hmm. Batman Superman and Wonder Woman again. And unfortunately as different as, as everybody thinks that, you know, what James Gunn and, and company have announced here, it still involves Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman, whether it's Elseworlds or not. Um, so it's still the Trinity. And yeah, there's some deep cuts there with, with creature commandos and, and some different stuff. But I just felt like, you know, why not just come out swinging on, on a completely different angle? You have so much IP that you could do something with that's not superhero related. If if you've really got a good idea and you have some good story behind it and and good actors behind it and everything, you don't need that name recognition of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. We don't need the Avengers on the Marvel side. Like we can do something different.
1: Well, I mean, I think Marvel's proof from that, like the name recognition now isn't necessarily with any of the characters. It's with Mm -hmm. that Marvel brand is what the name recognition is now. I mean, I see, you know, I teach university here in Japan. I see, you know young university uh co-ed students walking around in like marvel sweaters and Mm -hmm. you know i've asked some of my students like oh you like marvel and they'd be like like oh no no i just like the i like i like the logo (laughs) okay but it's ridiculous i'm seeing you know when i was in college i wish there were there were uh there were cute college girls walking around with marvel shirts but it never happened yeah Yeah, but um or even marvel shirts at all (laughs) but yeah yeah i mean but it's it's um that That is the brand now, and I think Marvel has proven that, you know, people will give anything a try if that Marvel name is on it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everyone thought Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be Marvel's first big flop. It ended up being one of its biggest successes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Eternals, you know, didn't do that great, but it still did respectable. It didn't fail completely. Um, Shang-Chi as well, right? That's, you know, who outside of comic book fans even have ever even heard of Shang-Chi? And that did really well too. And, you know, all these types of projects that everybody's like, oh, this is going to fail, this is going to fail, and they end up being successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point about superhero fatigue, I think a lot of that is just an, a prime example of Twitter is not real life, right? Because I, <laughs> yeah. again, yeah, I see that all the time with, you know, people have been saying that for, I, I remember seeing headlines about that back in the in the mid-aughts when people were saying, are people tired of superhero movies? And obviously not because now it's, you know, Almost twenty years on, and we're still getting superhero movies. And you know, the the directors, my late co-host pointed this out because um, we had talked about it when the Martin Scorsese stuff first came out. <laughs> and he had pointed out, and he's like, he's like, notice how every one of those articles, the director is talking about some new film they're promoting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, I think this is that's what this is. They're like they 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 want to talk about their new film, but they know the way to get people to click on the articles is by badmouthing superhero movies. So that's why they do it. Yeah, and,
2: and that makes a lot of sense. Those are the that, that's the clickbaity stuff. Um, mm-hmm. If you can if, if you're interviewing Martin Scorsese, if you're interviewing Quentin Tarantino, if you talk to any of these people who who have no stake in the game, you know, there's never a chance that they're going to make a Marvel movie so they can they can burn whatever bridge they want or whatever. But, right. yeah, you kind of say that. What do you think about the Marvel movies? What do you think? Of course, uh, these high cinema, you know, pretentious filmmakers have to say something you know, it, they can't just say, Hey, it's, it's cool that people like it. It's not for me or whatever. They have to kind of come out against it and, Mm -hmm. you know, against that form of art, call it not art, call it not cinema, whatever. Um, But yeah, I think you're completely right. That's an angle that I hadn't really looked at before. Um, It it must be clickbait. It must be a way to generate views to their article so they can push their product um, and less, uh, less about what is going on with, with superhero movies or Marvel movies.
1: I think another part of it too, and this, it's a similar thing with like Alan Moore, every time Alan Moore comes out bashing superhero comic books. (laughs) And someone pointed out on Twitter, I think it might have been Dan Slott, who said, Mm -hmm. why do you people keep asking Alan Moore about superhero comics? It's clear he doesn't want to talk, just stop asking him. Sure, <laughs> I think that's probably part of it too. And I think that's why Alan Moore's answers get more and more combative. Cause he's just so sick of hearing the same fucking question. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be enough. That could also be an element of too of why you keep hearing, you know, Martin Scorsese or, or Coppola or any of these other people bashing superhero movies, just cause they're like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. I mean, like you guys mm-hmm. like whatever you want, but just stop asking me about it. And so when they're asked about it constantly, they're like, fine, fuck it. I'll to give you the answer you want <laughs> to yeah, yeah. get clicks. <laughs> Um, but you you do make a, another good point there there where you said that um, it's a way to show something different with the superhero genre and I and I've long maintained this myself I think that the key to to superhero movies it's that you don't look at superhero movies as a genre in itself
2: mm-hmm.
1: which may be kind of contrary to the thesis of this show <laughs> I realize but but you but you look at superheroes as kind of like window dressing for other genres
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know. And I think Marvel kind of really hit on this when they started, um, when they started, uh, when they started out with some of their movies, like, you know, you've got Iron Man, which is a standard superhero origin film, but it's also Mm -hmm. a lot more focused on the, you know, the tech side of stuff. And then when you got, I think the first Avenger was really the first movie that they really kind of hit on this. And they're like, no, it's not, it's a superhero film. Yeah. But more than that, it's a pulp World War II adventure. Yeah, and it's completely different. Right. And then when they did the second one, they're like, well, he's not in that pulp setting anymore. So now we're going to make it a modern day political thriller. And it, Mm -hmm. I mean, those two movies are just both great movies. You know, they both have a lot of, there's a lot of consistency between them, but tonally they're very different. Um, But it works because they have those, they stick to those different approaches. Um, And I think, and I think I, I will say this for this movie this movie was one of the first that really kind of leaned into that idea. Let's mm-hmm. take this superhero concept and put it in a genre film. Yeah. And, you know, other movies have done this to varying degrees before, but I think they really leaned into it. And I think of the, of its era, I think this was the first movie that really kind of heavily leaned into it. It's like, we're not making a superhero movie, we're making a horror movie. And, you know, even though it's, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, we may differ to the extent, but I think we'll both agree the execution didn't quite live up to that premise, but I can admire the attempt at at that. I can admire the idea behind it of let's take this superhero concept and put it into a horror movie. And, you know, in some way, maybe this did, and this has been proven true because then we got stuff like, like Brightburn, which I thought was a great movie that took that superhero concept and put it in a hardcore, very entertaining horror film. And it was great. Mm
2: yeah and and I would I, I think that I could even cross this over into something like, look to me, this even feels more like a slasher movie than a horror movie. it's it's mm-hmm. got a lot of those elements to it. Um, I can I can definitely put it up against something like like Friday the 13th uh, 13th. not saying that it's as good as Friday the 13th or anything like that, but um, but it shares a lot of those elements to me. It, it seems more like a a slasher type of thing. And I think there's a place for, for stuff like that. I think that it's very hard. We have something like Marvel under the Disney banner, we have TC Studios under the Warner Brothers banner. It's gonna be hard to, to, to take any of that stuff to, to that extreme anymore, to have like you know, a hard R rating on anything or or, or whatever. Um I think that there's there's a place for that. Now, maybe. Maybe you have to exclude some of the nudity that was in this movie or whatever and and, and just stick to to killing and stuff like that. I, I think there's a place for slashers in, in the MCU somewhere. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll we'll really evolve to that point. I don't think we'll get that again. But but I, I would like to see that. I would like to see some real horror. I think that I was really, really disappointed and not in the movie. I think the movie was wonderful. Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness. I love it. But I remember it coming out. I remember it being announced and it was pegged as this is horror. This is going to be the first installment of a scary Marvel movie. And and while I love the movie, it's not that at all. It's not scary. It doesn't even dip into horror at all for me in the slightest bit.
1: I said there's some attempts there, but it definitely doesn't go far enough. I, I mm-hmm. will definitely agree with you on that. I mean, you could definitely see Sam Raimi leaning into some of his horror influences. And if you're going to get someone to direct a more horror type Doctor Strange movie... I mean, Sam Raimi is really the perfect guy to do that. He's right there, in that we—that's right. That's like the his like dream project right there. That totally combines like you know his love of superheroes, which he clearly has from the Spider Man movies, but also his love of horror. And yeah, that was it was a little bit disappointing too for me because I also was kind of hoping we'd see him lean in more to the horror aspect. You know, maybe I mean, hopefully we'll get him to do a, a third Doctor Strange movie, and mm-hmm. maybe that one can be more like. Guardians 2 or Black Panther World of Wakanda where or Wakanda Forever where it's 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 not as tied to the the overarching plan and maybe then we can get something that's a little bit more horror infused I think would be great. Um and I think there's definitely room for that harder R stuff. I mean and again, you know, Joker I wasn't the biggest fan of Joker, but again, it ha- it did make that attempt to do something different with the superhero concept. And that was a pretty, you know, that was a pretty intense movie. They they went, they leaned in pretty well to that R rating. Um, you got the Deadpool movies and they weren't, they weren't at Disney at that time, but Marvel is pretty committed to keeping them in the same tone as those first two movies. So I think there's definite room for this. And I think we could see more of it. Um, there are certainly some characters that could fit in that vein. Um, it's a shame Sony still has the lock on, uh, on Venom, because I think that is a perfect place where you could easily do that. Uh, depending on what we see next with the Punisher, that's something else where we could lean into more of that. Um, taking it back to this movie, I was also clocking those slasher movie tropes a lot.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And even down to the fact that there's so many bland characters, such a trope of, of slasher movies. And, but the thing about, and the thing that kept pulling me away from this is in a slasher movie, you've got to have at least one character that you have some attachment to. Mm -hmm. Um, or you've got to have very inventive death scenes. Otherwise the audience is just going to lose interest. And I don't feel like this movie really had either one of those. Yeah. I think
2: some of the kills visually looked kind of stunning. I think that they, I I do believe that they did a good job with that, especially given the budget and everything, the way that the kind of vine tendrils came out of the man thing and, and stabbed through people. And, uh, and, and especially that end kill, um, the
1: oil one. I did like that one. that yeah, one I did like. Yeah,
2: that was a nice kill. I think, yeah, as far as inventive. Yeah, not really. There's not much there. They did look kind of cool on screen. Um, but again, that gets us away from the entire point that that really you had everything already built in. All man thing mm-hmm. had to do was basically go up and touch one of these people and catch them on fire. And that's what was supposed to happen. But instead, we got something different. I, I can't comment on that. There's nothing I can say. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why that was different, but yeah. You know, uh, other than maybe that was just a note that happened or maybe um, like you said, maybe the, the writer director there wasn't even familiar enough with the, uh, with the source material that he just kind of was like, okay, and here's, here's vaguely what the character looks like. And he lives in a swamp and okay, he kills people. Cool. Um, mm. It, it could have been <laughs> that too, uh, given the budget, maybe there wasn't much research involved in it or whatever. And it was just kind of out there, but, But yeah, I think that, um, I, I, I like this as a, as a pointless slasher. I like this as just a, a dumb fun, like kind of horror esque movie. It's not really scary. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun enough for me to watch. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I don't think, I don't see myself going back to this movie anytime soon, but it, Mm -hmm. it wasn't definitely an an interesting topic of conversation. So I will give you that. (laughs) Um, but we're, we're pretty much at the end of the of time now. So, uh, Daniel, why don't you tell people where they can find you?
2: Yes, please. Please check me out on wherever you get your podcast from. Um, we're on Stitcher, Overcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, wherever. Um, that is all new, all different, number one comics. That is my comic book podcast. If you want to hear me and my co-host, Bob, talk about comic books, And if you want to hear me talk about some more movies, I do a bi-weekly podcast with a friend named Jer, and it is called Real Good Movies with Jer and Dan. And that's real, like a movie real R-E-E-L, because we're just that clever. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and you can find that anywhere as well. The comic book podcast is also on YouTube under the comic book channel, uh, where I post the podcast and then my weekly comic book hauls as well. So yes, please, please check me out. Give me a, a rating, a review, whatever you can do, and I would greatly appreciate
1: it. Yeah, uh, we'll have those links in the show notes, so people just go and click on those, and they'll be able to find those easily. Uh, but Daniel, thanks so much for coming on. Um, thanks for finally giving me an excuse to watch this movie that I'd been curious about for a, a while. Yeah, um, thank you for having me on. Greatly appreciated i glad to have you. Uh, anytime you want to come on back. But that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. Cinephiles.com is the website. We are Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, if you sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash Super Cinema Pod, you get these episodes a week in advance, and you also get access to the um, Patreon-exclusive uh, Superhero Cinephiles Book Club, where we talk about comics and graphic novels. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the superhero cinephiles then you'll also love my companion podcast the superhero cinephiles book club all my patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where i review superhero comics and graphic novels not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into i've got you covered on that i'll be doing reviews recommendations and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start plus you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.